Good morning, folks. With me is Juno Superior Court Judge Amy Mead. Good morning. Good morning. Amy, what did you do before becoming a judge? I moved to Alaska in 1996. I started clerking for a Superior Court Judge in Ketchikan and then became an Assistant District Attorney in Ketchikan. After a couple years, I moved to Juneau. I was in private practice doing primarily civil litigation and municipal work. I was an assistant attorney general for the Health and Human Services Division for a short period of time. And then in 2010, I was hired as an assistant municipal attorney with the CBJ Law Department. And then in 2013, the assembly appointed me as the municipal attorney of that department. And then in 2018, I was appointed to the bench. Hmm. And when we last spoke, we were still amid a pandemic. And that was impacting criminal jury trials here in the first judicial district. What's the status now? So first I want to say I really appreciate you asking specifically about criminal jury trials because one thing I think most people don't realize is that the court never closed. So I think in large part with respect to jury trials, we're kind of back to normal business. You know, there was a short period of time we only did what we termed priority hearings um, arraignments, bail hearings, changes of pleas and sentencing, child protection cases, that kind of thing. There was a longer period of time during which jury trials were postponed. We didn't want to bring people to the courthouse in light of the public health issues. But those postponements began lifting last fall with a few stops and starts as the pandemic waxed and waned. But as of January, we've been back to jury trials, in-person court appearances, um, when the attorneys call ready for trial, we can accommodate that and we go to trial. So I can't speak to how things are going from the attorney's standpoint because I know that the two state agencies that handle most of the criminal cases, the public defender agency, the district attorney's office, they're down some staff. And I think that impacts how things proceed. But when people are ready to go to trial, we go to trial. And. Is there still a backlog to work through, a trial backlog? Not from the court's perspective. Mm. Um, we, it, Looking at the numbers, they're pretty close to what they have been over the past few years. Um, we do have fewer, well, things are taking a little bit longer to resolve. I've said this before, but really historically, only about 3% of criminal cases go to trial. The rest are resolved through a plea negotiation process between the defense attorney and the state. That's taking a little bit longer, but I think that's in large part because of the staffing shortages right now. And tell us what it was like for the system having to pivot in response to a pandemic. Well, we in Alaska were actually really well positioned if you will, to respond to a pandemic. Unlike most courts down south, we were very used to remote proceedings because we're so spread out. So attorneys in Anchorage, a party in Sitka, one in Juneau, we handled that quite regularly, those types of logistics we were really used to. And then additionally, in the first district, we had a decade of experience with e-filing, which was, um, in other parts across the state, a new thing that happened during the pandemic. So we had a well-thought-out, efficient process already in place. And because we're, in my opinion, a pretty well-run organization from the top down, we were all able to learn from each other really quickly. So our administrative director put into place very early on pandemic planning meetings that happened every Monday, every Monday with 
the presiding judges, the area court administrators, the chief justice, our facilities director, our IT director, finance, human resources, every department within the court system was represented. We were all on the same page. We all had the most current information. So I think our familiarity with the remote proceedings, our, the thoughtful response for, from our administrative director and chief justice allowed us to respond really efficiently and, and really quickly and allows, allowed us to keep on top of things as circumstances changed. So you already had an infrastructure of distance created right before this pandemic right mm. right and are there any takeaways you might have or new systems of doing things yeah so i think one of the things that going through the pandemic and really relying even more heavily on remote proceedings allowed us to do was to make those that remote participation even more efficient and to expand upon it we didn't use Zoom you know, five years ago. We use it all the time now. And I think that's resulted in better and greater, greater access to the courts by the public. There's more personal um, uh, appearances through Zoom. Um, and it also allowed us to be more efficient with the attorney's time. So for example, we used to have big block hearings where judicial services would transport people from Lemon Creek for status hearings and that kind of thing. And now we have in place Polycom, which is a video remote, uh, a remote video conferencing system, and we do those proceedings remotely. We can still all see each other, but it allows you know people to stay in place, which means we can handle more hearings, and it's more efficient for everyone. Mm, very good. Uh, after Judge Pallenberg retired, we saw Merit. Uh, I'm Mariana. So, Mariana. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Carpinetti appointed and installed just recently. We wanted to know your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, we were sad to see Judge Palenberg go. He was an icon in, um, in the court system. And having been a practicing attorney in front of him, it took me a really long time to be able to call him by his first name. Um, I called him Judge Palenberg for a really long time, and it's still in my head, I do. And um, with with Judge Carpinetti, we're just very happy to have her. She is um, very dedicated and very smart and, and just a great person to have around. So it's, it was sad to see Judge Palmer go, um, but Judge Carpinetti has been a great addition to the first district. And and she comes down from Bud Carpinetti, right? She does. She actually, and I, and if I am incorrect, I am sure I'm going to hear about this on Monday, but I'm pretty sure that Justice Carpinetti's father was also a judge. So she comes from a long line of judges, um, a long line, and she's doing them proud. So Judge Pallenberg had retired last summer. Carpinetti was appointed in the winter and was installed this summer. It looks like all this takes time. What goes into the process of seating a new judge? So it is a long, intense, and I will say somewhat painful process, at least from the <laughs> applicant's perspective. And that's because Alaska uses a merit selection process for picking judges, which is an extremely intense process. It starts with the applicant filling out an 18-page application. You disclose your full educational history, your work history, what kind of public service you've done, organizations you're associated with, history you've had with the legal system as a litigant, references, personal and work references, um, names of people who've interacted with you in trials, a writing sample, a biographical statement. Oh, geez. And then these applications go to the Alaska Judicial Council, which is then tasked with just vetting everything you've written. 
very, very carefully. Um, they check your references. They go do background checks. We go through credit checks. There's also a bar poll where all of the attorneys and judges across the state are invited to comment, and those comments go to the Judicial Council for their review. And then so in addition to the bar poll, the council has your, um, your application and then any, any findings or follow-up from the council's executive director. They review all of that. There's a public hearing where people can comment on the applicants. And at the end of that process, the council meets, votes, and selects two or more names to forward to the governor. And then the governor has um, up, up to 45 days to appoint one of the recommended applicants. So it is a long very in-depth process. Mm -hmm. Are there any vacancies currently? There are. There are. Um, there's one in Southeast, actually. We had quite a turnover on the bench in Southeast. Um, both Superior Court judges uh, uh, retired rather recently, so we have two new Superior Court judges in Ketchikan. Mm -hmm. The Superior Court, I'm sorry, the District Court judge in, Ke in Ketchikan is getting ready to retire. In fact, the council is meeting on his position on September 1st. Um, and there are also vacancies on the Anchorage Superior Court and then the Alaska Supreme Court. The election is coming up soon and I've noticed this. Why are judges on the ballot? So after a judge is selected um, through this merit selection process with the ultimate decision being with the governor, then it goes to the people and there is a retention process that is an election retention process. So all judges have to go through a retention election within two to three years of appointment, and then at regular intervals depending on their position. So I'm a superior court judge. I'm up for retention this year. If the people um, vote to retain me, then I'll have to sit again for a retention election in six years. And this is, you know, it keeps us, um, it keeps us m making sure that we're constantly checking in with ourselves to make sure we're doing a good job. And if we're not, the people will tell us. Um, like the initial process, though that retention election process is really in depth, the Alaska Judicial Council goes through a, a vetting process for each judge that's up for retention that year. They do surveys of different court users from jurors who've appeared in front of the judge all the way through you know, um, the court staff themselves. They review court records. They solicit input from the public. There are public hearings. And that at the end of that process, after considering all that information, the council votes on whether to recommend retention or not. And those recommendations and the results of the council's investigation are all available on the council's website. And then in addition, in the voter pamphlet, there is a, um, a blurb on each judge who's up for election. Uh, it, it has a biographical statement, a statement of interest, and then, uh, and then the council's recommendation. So there's a lot of materials out there for voters to be able to make decisions about the judges on the ballot. We're going to go to a quick break, but we'll be. And we're back with Juno Superior Court Judge Amy Mead. What efforts are the is the court undertaking to find people to work? We talked a little bit about how staffing is a trouble in the first part, and well, what's being done to try to address that? So we are we are down quite a few. Um, staffing is pretty low in Juneau. We're fully staffed in other court locations, but Juneau's suffering a little bit right now. I do have to say that our current staff is amazing, and our, um, hopefully the court users are not noticing, but the, the, the fact that we're, we're at pretty low staff. 
Um, what are we doing to correct that? Well, first, um, you might have known the legislature passed a 15.5% raise for the admin staff that goes into effect October 31st, 2022, and kind of brings the court system admin staff salaries consistent with other admin staff across the state and other departments. Uh, so making it competitive. Pretty much, yeah. Gotcha. Um, our current biggest need is case managers, and that's anything from the front front counter, working with jurors, accounting clerks, in courting, um, you know, being there in the courtroom when the hearings are happening, all parts of the court process. We have been expanding how we advertise. So historically, it's been through Workplace Alaska. Now we're going to the Job Center and UAS. We're posting info and locations throughout the district. There's a big sign outside the courthouse inviting people to come and apply. Um, people can apply through Workplace Alaska. If they have questions, they can call the Juneau Area Court Administrator, Emily Wright, who'd be happy to talk to anybody interested in a job with a court system. And, and people should know we're open to all types of work situations so part-time work work during school hours job sharing we also review minimum qualifications if someone thinks they might not meet minimum qualifications but are really interested in a job we can work with that person to train them um, we are also uh, emily who is the emily court administrator i'm the presiding judge for the first district so responsible for admin duties as well as my normal court duties she and I have been thinking more creative ways about how to use some of our rural court locations to help supplement um, the Juno court location, and we've got some exciting things coming to help. But we are being, in, in long story short, we're trying to be as creative as possible. We are trying to accommodate people's needs, um, and we really, we're just looking for people who are interested and excited to work with the court system. It's a great job. Now, I recall also on a previous program we heard about phishing scams and are there any current ones that folks should be on the lookout for? So the last one I'm aware of um, really came to a head in April. I don't know of any current scams but they pop up really frequently. Um, the latest one, the one from April, was where a scam, a scam where a person was, would be called and told that their children or grandchildren were in jail and that they needed to pay bail. The, these phishing scams can be really convincing. This last one used family nicknames. The phone number looked like it was coming from the court system. Really? Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing how sophisticated the scams are. I'm, I recommend that if people are in doubt, call the court or the local police department and ask. Don't give information over the phone. And I can also say the court system will never call to ask for money to avoid arrests to ask you to pay bail for you or anyone else, or to request a fine be paid over the phone, that is not, that is not something the court system will do. And so that's that's 100% the surefire way to figure out. 100%. Okay. Yeah, but otherwise, if they're in doubt, just call the court. We try to push out information when we become aware of something, so the court system will uh, put it on their Facebook account or, their, or they'll tweet about it, but just people should ask. It's unbelievable, though, nicknames. Right. They're getting more clever. That's unfortunate. True. I recently saw a playlist of 18 YouTube videos that were posted to the co uh, court's Twitter, and it was all of what a person needs to know about divorce and custody cases. 
share with us the overall efforts to get information and law resources out to citizens. So this is actually a really exciting question that you've just asked because we've got a lot going on. The court system has made a really concerted effort to expand its self-help services or its access to justice. There's a new department called the Access to Justice Department, and that department has two goals. Increase Alaskans' ability to access the court and to make sure the court users receive excellent customer service. So in addition, in addition to those Zoom classes that you just noted, we've got um, an eviction diversion program, a guardianship self-help line, a co-parenting coaching classes that are available to people that are, it's a nationwide class, it's really exciting. An online dispute resolution is coming next year. This one is also super exciting. It's designed to help people resolve their issues, small claims, debt, eviction, civil, family law issues, before a lawsuit needs to be filed. So people can access this online dispute system and resolve their contested issue, and it will result in a court, an enforceable court order all without the need of having to go through a litigious adversarial process. We also have something called a navigator program, which will allow people to access a portal on the internet, answer questions, and then receive a personalized action plan based on their answers of like how they get to where they need to go with links to forms and info about court systems and the court process. So all of this is in addition to what we currently offer, which is interpreter services, mediation programs. We have an early resolution program for divorce and custody cases where people are hooked up with a mediator to try to resolve issues and then go they go straight to a judge to put that on the record. And then all of the self self-help content that you've already noted. So re- a lot of really exciting things happening with access to justice. And what do you think about all this this uh, accessibility to these resources? It's it, it, The courts are a fairly complicated process. So for it to be able to be summed up like this, what do you think? I think it's fantastic. I think that you know people come to court because there's an issue that they can't resolve on their own. But what I see is that with a little bit of help and guidance, most people can reach resolution. And historically, that reaching of, res- of a resolution has occurred only through a litigious adversarial process in a court case. And there are a lot of other p- ways for people to resolve their issues. And this is these things that we're offering uh, give people a lot of options to try to you know reach that resolution without the need of having to file a court case. Nobody likes to go to court. It's, I, I recognize that nobody likes to come to court. Um, so I'm really excited about all of these different ways that we're offering to people to, you know, to access, justi- access justice without the need to go through a court case. Tell us about the therapeutic courts here in Alaska. That's also super exciting. You know, therapeutic courts are, an, uh, we call them an alternative justice model where a collaborative team made up of a judge, a district attorney, a defense counsel, probation officer, a substance abuse or mental health treatment provider, oversee and monitor participants who have opted in or chosen to participate in the program instead of the traditional punishment, incarceration, what have you, after they've committed a crime. The court addresses, again, substance abuse, mental health issues, 
um, people opt in. There is a negotiated plea agreement or a negotiated sentence that is part of this opt-in pr process. And then during the therapeutic court process, they participate in a really structured rehabilitative plan that addresses things like their mental health needs or their substance abuse needs, housing, employment, all of those things that can traditionally when they're not going well, drive people towards committing crimes. So these programs are designed to help people address those issues so that they, they are in a different place when they come out of the program. Mm -hmm. And if su successfully completed, the sentence is ne the negotiated sentence that was entered into at the beginning of the process is entered and they hopefully you know are, go on and be successful outside of the court system. Is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, I will. I will give a shout out to the judges who do therapeutic court in South Southeast, and that's Judge Swanson. And and you know she has a uh, both a substance abuse and a mental health court. And Judge Peyton Sitka, who has a straight tribal state slash tribal healing to wellness court, which is pretty cool. Um, is that something? Is that something recent? That is that is something a little bit more recent that I don't know how far um, into the program he is. It's something that is just being started. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not sure how far into it he is. There were there were a lot of logistics to talk about, but I know that there's been a ton of work going into it. It's really cool. And um, I, along these same, same lines, I am going to say one last thing, which is that um, the other really exciting thing that we've been trying to push out is an, an ICWA court an Indian Child Welfare Act court, which addresses child protection cases with Native families in a different way than historically has been. And I've been working with Clinkett and Haida, who fantastic people at Clinkett and Haida, to try to get this off the ground. Um, and at OCS, it's been a really exciting process. So maybe next time, I hope to have some more things to tell you about that. Oh, well, we'll welcome you. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. And that's the program. Thank you for tuning in this August 15th. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line, signing off.